Welcome to Sales Velocity TV, where we pull back the curtain on how the top businesses in the world sell more with less resistance. Bringing over 50 plus years of combined sales experience and over 100 million in revenue generated, please welcome the hosts of Sales Velocity TV and two incredibly entertaining gentlemen, Andrew Cass and Aaron Parkinson. Aaron, how do you rise above adversity? Do you well, have a do you have a technique? Do you have a formula? Do you have a blueprint? That's the topic for today, folks. I think there's a lot of it in the world today, and I think it's good to unpack once in a while, veer off topic from the sales topic and get into maybe some deeper mindset and personal development material. And adversity is a big one. I find, and I'll I'll let you answer that question in a minute. I find that the top achievers in the world the best CEOs, the best athletes, the best actors, the biggest names we know and follow are masters at overcoming adversity. I think it's the one X factor, maybe more important than all the others. I love that we're talking about this topic today. You have kids. I have kids. And I know that you're very similar to me in that I'm constantly looking at my kids and, and trying to encourage them to lean into hard things and reinforcing the fact that in life, if you want to have the things that you perceive as great, they don't come by doing easy things. Mm -hmm. They only come by doing hard things. And, and they all, and when you have hard things that you have to accomplish, the reason that they're hard is because they come with baked in adversity. And if the barrier to entry in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish is too low, not only is your competition going to be extremely, extremely oversaturated, but the reward on the other side is likely to be very minimal. Mm. And so when we talk about adversity, as humans, we are programmed to shy away from adversity. It, it's, it's fight or flight. Path right? of least resistance. Path of least resistance. And, and the great thing about a capitalist society is you have a choice. You can sit on your couch and you can play Call of Duty <laughs> with your friends every night and you can call DoorDash and every have night. crap food delivered to you, not have to lift a finger, and you can go work a minimum wage job and bounce around from place to place to place to place. And that is your God given American right. And, and it sure as heck is do, these days. And if you want to do it and you are happy in that life, God bless you because it's about finding your level of happiness. But should you choose to strive to the higher levels of existence in this capitalist society that we've created, the higher you go, the more adversity you will face and the more risk you will face and the more emotional turmoil you will face. And it is your ability to endure and to strategize and to overcome that will define what level of rare air you reach. Well said. I would agree. I would agree. So if we all agree that that is a fact, and 
if you don't agree that that's a fact, well, the only way it wouldn't be a fact for you is that, you know, maybe you got some large inheritance or you won the lottery or you were one of those luck lightning in a bottle guys. That, that would be the Bitcoin only way they hand out scenario. Yeah, maybe you bought Bitcoin at 30 cents and you made one fluke decision in your entire life and you're, you know, you're set, right? The but rest you, of in, the Interestingly world. on that point though, Aaron, usually in those cases though, lottery type scenarios is what that mm -hmm. is. Those people, due to the fact that they don't have the overcome adversity pedigree you talked about, they end up figuring out a way to blow that fast. And I think a big reason yeah. that they do is because they don't understand then they haven't maybe gone through this adversity conversation we're having. And they've hit the easy button so much or they've had the easy button available so much that they make some mistakes that they probably wouldn't have made had they went a more difficult path. And that's one and, of the reasons and, and why those lottery winners and the big athlete salaries, yeah. they, they tend to evaporate pretty quickly for people that don't have some of the challenges along the way. And it, t it tends to be those that really had it given to them pretty easily along the way. Like when you see the big athlete salary, some of those guys are so God gifted, they really haven't had to work that hard. They haven't had to overcome a lot of adversity. So their God given gift actually makes it easier on them. It's the guys like Brady who fought tooth and nail from being picked 300 and overcame all the adversity and all the negativity and never was good and got good. Those are the guys that tend to go the distance because of what we're talking about here today. Well, and I think you're right. And I think where, where that comes from is actually value is when you go through adversity to get what you got, you value it way more sure do. than somebody who potentially just fell into it because they had God-given talents or they Absolutely. won the lottery or, or whatever. It's right? self-made versus hand, handed to you, right? Exactly. So when you value it more, you tend to protect it more because you know what it took to get there. And, sure. and it kind of, I was with Tim Tebow. You're a big sports fan, so you know who Tim Tebow yeah, is. Yeah, I remember that. How did that go, by the way? Um, it was super It was super great. You can see my oh, – actually, you can't see because the angle of the camera doesn't show. I got my Tim Tebow football signed up behind me on the shelf here. And I was with him about uh, about a month ago. We were speaking at an event together, and he, he, he told a really interesting story that I'll, I'll share with you and our, our listeners um, today. He said – when you were in the park, and maybe I'll phrase this as a question to you, Andrew. When you were in the park as a kid, 10 years old, 12 years old, you were a big football guy. You played at Hofstra. A lot of people don't know you were a wide receiver at Hofstra, you know, played football. When you were 10, 12, 13 years old and you were throwing catch, you know, maybe you were, maybe even when you were throwing catch with your friend Hasselback who played in the NFL, when you, when, when you said go deep, did you say, Hey, Matt, it's the, it's the fourth quarter. Or maybe Matt said to you, cause you were the wide receiver. Hey, Andrew, it's the fourth quarter. We're up by 30. Go wheel route. We're going to hit this touchdown with two minutes left. Or did you say, did he say to you, Hey, Andrew, hit this wheel route. We're down by six. There's one minute left and I'm going deep for all the marbles. Which one, which one did, did, did he say in that situation when you were a kid playing football? Uh, I would think that the situation where the game is on the line to win, not right. when you're down by 30 and the game is in the bag. Right. It was, it was, it was I'm down and we're going to overcome this and we're going to win. Not because I'm up so big and I'm going to keep pouring it on. Exactly. To your point, or, right? or we're down 
we're up so big or we're down so big, it's irrelevant, right? And so what he was saying is that humans value more than anything the overcome and the comeback, which is why when you look at a sports channel yep. every night with the replays, the biggest plays of the night are the guy at the NBA hitting the last minute shot or the, the field goal kicked at the final whistle or the wheel route run, you know, and scored in one minute. I remember Baker Mayfield did it last year and right. people went bananas when he switched teams, right? It's we, we, we value that more than anything else. It's not the gift. It's not the, it's not the easy way. It's it. We value watching somebody endure and overcome severe obstacles because we as humans get endorphin releases from that. And so that's why it's important to lean into hard things because it's, it's how we're wired it is, is to get that feeling. You know, interesting you say that. There's not a Hollywood blockbuster movie in existence that doesn't follow the formula of the underdog, overcomes Correct. adversity, wins in the end, bad guy winning throughout the movie, good guy somehow squeezes right it out the, and wins and, in the end. And, and right in the middle. There's every, almost no movie that that doesn't happen. Exactly. And they actually in, in that in that if you don't know that there's actually formulas for movies in the middle of every one of these formulas, there's a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. Yes. Somewhere the, in the middle. The darkest night possible is somewhere in there. Almost right? every movie. You look at Batman, right? It's when Bane picks up Christian Bale and Batman and breaks his spine and throws him down the sewer. There's, Everything. A, there's always a. A dark before the dawn. And there's usually a villain in there that makes the adversity even worse than it. Of course. Right? right? And, and and so as humans, if we know that we value these things in, in every aspect that we look at, then why do we feel like we should, should somehow be removed from having to experience that? Almost is, as if like you think you got a bad deal because adversity came your way, right? right? Like, ah, I have no luck. This is terrible. Exactly. Where maybe it maybe you need that obstacle to grow into a new path. Right. And like Tebow said, there's no comeback without a setback. Hmm. Right? Very powerful speaker, by the way, Tim Tebow. Um, I was really blown away. And and so if we know that what we want is going to be difficult. If we know that it's gonna have baked in adversity, and we know that the greatest things on earth are always on the other side of that element, then we know that we're gonna face it. So what do we do when we face it? I right? think it That's was uh, Jocko Willington in Extreme Ownership. He's a big speaker, corporate trainer, uh, former Navy SEAL, I believe. Mm -hmm. Jocko Willington. Jocko, it's Jocko Willink, actually. Jocko Willink. Good yeah. book, Extreme Ownership, by the way. Yeah. Smart I think guy. it's him. I think it's him who who created the term "embrace the suck." Actually, I think that's a Marine term. Embrace <laughs> the suck, and that's yep. that's that, right? That's going. This is really difficult. How do I view it? I think a big piece of what I wanted to cover today, Aaron, is, 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 is are you conscious or unconscious to adversity? I think a lot of people are unconscious to adversity and they get down on the adversity, down on themselves, down on the fact that it happened to me, victim mentality. And a lot of this is unconscious. It's just, it's habit. It yeah. just happens. But, but creating awareness around adversity is interesting to me. Meaning something happens to you, throw a scenario at me. I don't know what it is. And, and we're going to talk about a couple Yeah, we'll talk about a couple in business and in life, but, but big picture here. Adversity hits, something goes wrong in business, you lose an employee, you lose a big customer, um, you lose a merchant account. I mean, something, something big, like 
give you an example in, in our software company, our whole entire email infrastructure went down for the last two weeks. And we had to bring in outside consulting teams to basically rebuild it back up because our emails get delivered from it. Our teams all have this email. So that's kind of a tech, a tech meltdown within, right? And, and it's, it's a big a, one. It's a big one because, because sales, the world the world runs on being communicated with by email, both internally and externally. So in my little example, and I know you have one too, that's adversity within that really pisses me off. But but the point I want to make is, do you just kind of jump in and react and get mad and get pissed and play victim? Or do you just step away, even for a moment, and go, what, what, can, what good can come out of this? So for the example here, here's the good that came out of it for us. Knowing how sensitive a master organization's email domain is, because it's a URL, it's a domain at the end of the day, it's real estate on the internet, I now use that example as a way to create a better, more diverse portfolio of email in company URLs and domains so that if this should happen again, I've got my backup quarterback and my third string quarterback and my backup domains basically in a portfolio that I can deploy one right away if one goes down. I do the same thing with our marketing, as you know now, where I have multiple different domains for multiple different forms of media so that if one gets blacklisted or banned or whatever happens, because advertising is tough today. Um, you can run into all kinds of glitchy situations on Facebook or YouTube or Google. Your ads can get slapped. Domains can get pulled down. Email domains can get blacklisted. It's, it's the wild, wild west of the internet is no joke when you're playing at a high level, right? So creating the backup plans for future reference is the win from the adversity, right? So, so it's, it's something comes out of it that you can leverage for, for more stability long-term. But again, we don't look at it that way a lot, which is, I think, the point today. I think that the sort of standard process is shock, then internalization, yep. then analysis, then decision-making, and a lot of people don't get past the shock and internalization. They, they sort of stay in shock mode, right? That's they stay in, the in shock mode, yeah. right? And when you talk about embrace the suck, you and I both know I have a really good friend named Daniel Cormier who is the, the two-division Yeah, you bring him UFC up a lot champion. here. He's, he's some, some good stories around and him. Over on the other side, he's I've got pictures when he won the title and we were in his bedroom in, in the MGM Grand. Mm -hmm. And he had a, a, a shirt that, that we made with his logo and everything that just said embrace the grind. There you go. So his big philosophy, because he was an Olympic level wrestler, was that those who embrace the grind will ultimately end up grinding out their competition. Mm -hmm. So for him, he was a he was what we would call a a dirty, grimy, on top of you, wear you down, steal your soul kind of person like in the gritty, ring. A gritty, a gritty competitor, right? Just on you like a like a wet blanket until you finally just cracked <laughs> and said, I don't want to do this anymore. He would he would grind you to death. And and so I learned the embrace the grind philosophy from him. And and then there's another side of 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 coaching over in Ireland, which was Connor McGregor's coach. And he wrote a book called We Win or We Learn. Mm. And so I, I think a lot of what, what you and I do in business is, is everybody's always striving for the win, but what people don't see or they underestimate is there's so much to learn from your losses that set you up better for success in the future. It's, it's how you process them, right? right. So in the, in the email scenario, you, 
you know, you slacked me. You said, oh, ah, this stupid thing down and we're missing all this stuff and freaking out. And that, that's the internal shock, right? And then it's process. Okay, how do we solve it? But more importantly, not how do we solve it and just get back on track. It's what do we learn from it so that we're stronger moving forward so your brain went to, okay, we're going to do multiple domains, multiple servers, have backups. So that, so if and when this happens again, there's a small amount of shock, but instantly, boom, we're back in business. The word, right. the word there is stability. So stability. You, you use the adversity to create more stability longer term. Correct. This applies to anything, by the way. But you know, this is one small example here, one small tech example within an organization, but it could apply to a physical setback. You might break an arm and be down and not be able to train or work out or move for two months. It's adversity. Personally, how do you deal with that, right? Right. And and the great thing is, is that you you put in the piece that a lot of people don't put in, which is you didn't just put in the solution. You looked at what the weakness was and how to strengthen that weakness. Because as the company continues to grow, if that problem hits again in the future, which it likely will, the damage that will be done at a bigger company level will be exponentially higher than the damage now. So you might have actually saved yourself stress and money by having this experience now versus later. Possibility. When, and, and like in my shoes, um, the majority of my day job is spent running Seven Mile Media, my agency. Now, we are almost exclusively dealing face-to-face with clients and clients with lots of sales, big egos, big demands. You know, it's a tough, talk about embracing the grind. It's yeah, a tough it business is. model. It lists the agency business model, I tell you all the time. It's so hard to please everybody. It it's, is so hard. It's like every day, you might have four or five wins, but then that one loss or that perceived loss, I feel like it just sizzles the air out of the victories, right? It, it does. It's literally, oh, man. It, it's hilarious because when you look at it from a portfolio standpoint, yeah. right? You yeah. know, if, if we, at any time we have around 40 to 50 clients, five of them are burning up. Burning up meaning what? They've got problems with results, with drama, tech, creative drama, got whatever. It. But the other 40 burning up are great. If yeah. I was a hedge fund, I would be the single greatest hedge fund in the history of mankind. Percentages. With a 90% win rate. That's right. But those 10%, they just suck they the time and the life you, out. right? So when I looked at with my team, and, and the reason I'm bringing the agency up is yesterday, for the first time in a really long time, we Are you had telling a the story about that client who gave you the one-star review? <laughs> oh, great. I can't wait to hear it again. I've heard it already, but I can't wait for it. <laughs> so It's always better the second time around, kind of like a movie. Yeah, it probably just gets better. Yeah. So, so yesterday, I had to meet with a client. This is a very short-term client, three months. They do uh, two yearly launches. They spend $150,000 in 30 days. They acquire 15,000 leads. They do a live presentation. They they book them into um, a product line. It's four different geographies. It's the US, it's Australia, it's New Zealand, it's it's the UK. The, the tech and the integrations are insane. You know, all of these different elements. And so we hit the goal that we were tasked to do, 15,000 leads in 30 days across four different geos and the tech and the this and the that. And we met yesterday and, and for the first time in a really long time, the client said, our experience with you was abysmal. In fact, it was so bad 
that if you were an Amazon product, I would give you one star because there's nothing lower that I could possibly give than one star. These are exact words to you yes. or to someone yep. on your team? No, to me. Wow. And, uh, and, and, and this went on for a solid five minutes straight. You just got birated. Just shredded to pieces. And, and it was, it was the worst of both worlds because we had never worked more hours for a client and deployed more things. Our, our campaign manager alone, for an example, worked 10 hours a day, Monday through Sunday for 30 days straight to be able to manage all the time zones, turning them on and off and, you know, hundreds of hours of tech and just, and not charging anymore and just biting down on it and saying, let's just get it done. And then we got the, we got the one star rating. So at that moment in time, the, the shock has kicked in, right? And, and the anger starts boiling up. And, and what, what there was multiple times in the first five minutes where I almost just said, stop. Obviously this relationship is, is irrevocably damaged. Unrecoverable. Unrecoverable. <laughs> I have zero time or tolerance or patience to listen through this. We're done. And, and the conversation would be over. But instead, I stopped, I breathed, I endured, I let him get out his venting. And then I educated him on what we had actually done to accomplish this goal, which he was unclear of. 7,054 ads tested in a 30-day period, 100 hours a month in tech when, when you're only we only, you only got billed for 30 upside down on the entire account from a profitability standpoint, multiple communication errors between teams. I put it back in his court after I had, I'd let him vent and then he, he softened up and he started to say, Hey, I didn't realize, you yeah, know, this actually like, makes like he me, he doesn't know what's going on, right? Yeah. It, this makes me feel better. You know, there's, I still, am not pleased, but now I understand you were working your butt off. Maybe you were more focused in the other areas of the stuff and, and blah, 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 blah. So anyways, this ended up being an hour and a half conversation after that first five minute berating. And, and we left the table together saying, okay, Hey, we like each other. We just don't know if we're the right match to work together in the future, but let's just take the weekend to think on it. And then we'll reconvene on Monday and, and, and we'll go from there. Now, in that scenario, I had the opportunity to let the shock control my response. Or I, I can choose to be patient, endure, and listen for the things that I can do, I can, I can grab as a learning experience. So one of the things that, that I would really challenge everybody here to think about moving forward is when you have a, a customer who gives you a bad experience, my CMO calls it gold. He said, there is nothing better than a customer giving you a poor experience feedback so that you can digest it and look at what's going on and see how you can improve it so it never happens again. So you got two choices. You got react or you got endure, listen, compartmentalize things and then move forward. So we stepped back and said, okay, clearly we have some problems. Number one, we're not communicating clearly enough the, the effort or the hours or the time for the client. We need a system to put that in place. Um, we clearly needed 
better planning ahead of time because a lot of things were coming in at the last minute. There was about three or four items that we isolated that we can improve on. And, and now we'll spend the next two weeks building processes to ensure that that never repeats itself. And it will only create a better user experience, happier customers, longer retention, so on and so forth, right? But it's your choice, again, on how you want to deal with the adversity. Because mm. I can tell you this, if every client that is unhappy with your product or your service, you just tell them to go piss up a rope, you're not gonna be in business very long. Because the reviews and the reputation and, and all of that stuff, it's gonna catch you. But if, if rather than looking at the adversity as a personal attack, you look at it as an opportunity to improve what you're putting in the marketplace, you will just get stronger and stronger. Every one of those bricks that we've put in from diagnosing why a client left and put systems in place to ensure that that particular thing didn't go awry again has made us a considerably more efficiently run business, more scalable, better feel for the client. This just happened to be one of those times where it was probably wrong client, wrong fit. We didn't do enough diligence ahead of time. We didn't know the scope of what we were getting into. We were kind of building the plane on the way down. And things broke. So now we have to step back and go, okay, we're not doing that again. Like we're, we, there's, there's, there's things that have to be done to ensure that doesn't creep up us. And again, so we, you know, my CMO and I left the debrief after that call yesterday. So it was another half an hour, two hours of my time. And he said, I'm so excited. I love calls like these. I, I, I can't wait to take these items and start to put them into place. How many people would come out of a situation like that and go, I'm so excited that happened. I'm so excited I just got chewed out for the last hour and a half. Again, how are you dealing with adversity? That's which, my example. For which it's a great example, which loops us back to the stability that you created now as a result. Right. Because you're going to go in and put better processes in place, which mm -hmm. is going to create better stability for the organization, the people in the organization, and the clients coming into the organization. Absolutely. Huge. 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 But hey, or listen, it's easy. Andrew, Aaron, this is way easier said than done. Oh, of it's Of course sucks. I know that, but still, it that's sucks. right. I mean, it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's an awareness thing. I struggle with it all the time. I don't know that I would have handled it as well as you did. Personally, I can admit my weaknesses. I probably would have really called that guy out for not, as a business owner, being involved in the process. And then without the right information, attacking me or attacking my company without the right knowledge, right? I don't like it when things like that happen. I, I'm perfectly fine accepting that information if all I's are dotted and T's are crossed and research has been done. A lot of people have big opinions today with a lot of, with not much knowledge. It's that's true. right. So that's where I get like, wait a minute, you, you got a big stance on something. You've spent about 20 minutes on the subject here. <laughs> I, here I am, you know, with my team 80 hours into the subject, right? I, that, that I would have called out, but again, neither here and, nor there. The point and is, there were some things that, that I called out that he was unaware of, you know, that softened the, it, mm -hmm. it, but I, I, it, a lot of people would have just put their heels right in the sand of course, and started swinging in defense Instead of saying, hey, this is an opportunity to grow, get better, to grow, create more to stability, learn, to get better. Yep. Uh, or, or just run away. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Or just run away or just run away. Just, Listen, I think, I think a lot of our, our, our listeners and viewers might experience, I think just humanity as a whole, Aaron, we experience, we tend to experience more adversity in our personal life that spills into our business life, I think, than actually sure. in the business I mean, that life. happens a lot. Yeah, I think, again, I don't know what the numbers are, but but I think that the real, the real win here is can you deal with adversity in your personal life and not let it necessarily spill into your business life? That balancing act is the next pillar here. Yeah, right? and it's like a tough in the one business is one thing. It's sort of expected in the business, right? But right. but, but in your personal it, life, spill over, break a bone, get a cancer diagnosis, um, family member passes away, someone's ill, uh, child issues. I mean, that stuff is really difficult to deal with because it's so emotional. Where the business stuff isn't all that emotional. Sometimes it is, but it's really more technical. And, and, well, and, and, I, and how, I do you, how do you let, how do you not let that slip in, and how do you still perform day to day is really the big the biggie. And I don't just think it's that side. I think it's how do you leave the business stuff that just blew you up at the office? Vice versa. And not bring it Good into point. the house. Good point. Right? So there's two sides of that. How do you let the things over here not affect you over here? And mm. how do you not bring these things over here into here and, and make this part toxic? Right. So how do you? Or how do you? <sighs> for, before I say for how do me, I? I – it's probably one of my bigger challenges because what I've been told before is that this is just part of the game. I shouldn't internalize it. I take it too personally. I actually really care about the results that we get. And so I probably take it too personally when something's not going right. And Which then it's good. I, That's passion and emotion. That's a good attribute. That's a good characteristic to have. It, it, there's, there are some good things about it. it. It probably means that I'm, I'm a good person or whatever. And that but, you care about the results. And that I care about the result. And, and, but it also means that the story is going over and over and over again in my head. What did I do wrong? How could I have been better? What should I, what could kind I have of said? Beat yourself up a little different? bit. It just, it's like a movie playing in my head and I'm sitting there with my family and I'm looking at them, but I'm not really there. Yeah. It's just the, 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 the voices are talking and talking and talking and talking and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not present, right? The demons. The demons. And well, so really. There's some things that I've done over the last year that have been significant to leave the adversity at the office, which is is number one, I don't check for the most part. I, I don't check any notifications or email. I don't have notifications on on my phone at all, but I don't I don't jump into emails or Slack or any of that stuff after I leave the office, which is around 530. Good move. And I don't check them first thing in the morning ever because I don't want to be set off before I even get out of bed. So it, I really appreciate you responding to my Slack message at 10 p.m. last night. I feel like I'm on a different level with you, which is really good to see. <laughs> see, see, now you, you're like, you just, you, just, you just called me out where they're like, oh, nah, no, no. Because Andrew. you're peeking yeah, for the right people. Listen, it's different when it's partners and, and, and business. And in, fairness, right? in fairness to me, I peaked last night because we had the show today and I wanted to make sure that we were on. Fair the enough. You're off the hook for the show. Right. But I didn't go into anybody else's nonsense. Yeah. And exactly. so. I've shut that off. Secondly, I, I, we've talked about this before. I put a very strong workout regimen in mm -hmm. because I find that when, when I, when things are challenging, if I just go strain at the highest level and sweat and, and do those things, the volume comes down. Absolutely. Considerably on my problem. It, it, it takes me back to like a base level. That's right. And 
last but not least, this works for some people and this doesn't work for other people. The relationship I have with my wife, my wife wants to know what's troubling me today. And so I will share it with her and she will give me a little bit of her opinion and feedback on it. And then it's just gone. It's almost like I've taken it out of here and just put it a little bit of therapy right there. Very healthy. And then it's, and then it's gone. And she'll, you know, she typically says stuff like, you know, you'll learn from it. You always do. It'll make you better. You've got 21 clients on your wait list. Don't sweat it. If you don't like them, get rid of the, she'll say all the right things. And then I'm like, okay, done. And now I can be present instead of conversation playing in my brain. And so those are pretty, pretty, some pretty simple things that I've put into play. The other one is I don't work on the weekends. Took me a long time to get there, you know, and and I think that maybe that's something that has to be earned as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it absolutely does. But I just find that if I roll right through the week of craziness into the weekend and keep working and then show up Monday, I just don't feel refreshed yeah. or inspired. Yeah. Those are really good ones that you just laid out, by the way. And mine are similar. And I think you nailed the first one, which we talk about a lot on the show, is if you don't have a physical fitness outlet, you're dead. Not only are you dead mentally, you're eventually dead physically. <laughs> so it's a, it's a yeah. win-win, right? Because sure. you, your, your, your body will not be able to go the distance with really much of anything if you let your body fall apart. So I think for sure, that's you and I's go-to all the time. The other big one for me... Um, is having a hobby that you can have as a release. That's a great and, idea. And for me, the biggest thing since I moved to Naples, I used to live in Miami. I played golf once in a while, but when I moved to Naples, as you know, Aaron, I play all the time and I've actually committed to the sport. I, it's not really a sport, it's a game. I've committed to the game of golf because I really genuinely love playing. But what I love the most is the fact that it gets me out in nature, which is one of yep. the very best things you can do for your mind, body, and soul of maybe any other, arguably, getting out in the sun on the ground. There's tremendous science behind the energy of being on the ground and not Mm -hmm. in a room, on cement, on a fifth floor, in a house. Fake lights. LED. By the way, these are LED. Everybody always asks, those blue, like, those yellow light, those yellow glasses are so cool. I'm like, they weren't really started to be cool. I'm on four or five different LED lights that are very bad on the eyes coming in on me and they actually help a lot. They, they tame down the stress on the eyes when I'm in front of the computer. But getting outside in, in actual sunlight on the grass, Aaron, those two things alone, the studies and the science behind what that nature can do for your mindset and for your well-being is off the charts. So for me, it's 50% getting out in nature and 50% like enjoying the game and trying to get par and get as close to a good score as I can, which is really, really a very frustrating game, which also is is the challenging aspect of trying to get better, testing different things, new clubs, new shoes, new balls, taking lessons, like all that stuff as you get older, learning a new skill, having a hobby as an outlet, getting out in nature. To me, it checks all the boxes as the very best hobby. Fishing, I think, might be up there a little bit, but I kind of like something with a little bit of a physical aspect to it. And golf isn't really like, I'm not running and jumping, but you'd be surprised, Aaron, the condition the body needs to be in to properly swing on a consistent basis. I am so blown away by, and I watch a lot of golf on TV too. I, I, I really enjoy watching it and playing it. So I, it's on all the time golf channel. I have, I don't watch really anything else, but the golf channel, like yeah, once in a blue moon, I pop into like Fox and CNN to see what the world's up to. We live in two different worlds. So I have to look at the left and the right. And then it's just golf. 
I, I just watch golf all the time. I watch reruns of golf. I'm learning golf. I'm in the magazines. So for me, like that's been a big outlet for me. It, it's, it's the physical fitness for sure. To me, that's a staple. That's mandatory. But the hobby thing is, you know, that's optional. You don't have to have a hobby, but man, you should because when you get out there doing your thing, you start, the mind is now on a different plane. It isn't stuck in the business or on the personal problem. It's, it's really a release is what it is for me, at least. I, I really like that you brought that up because it's a really good point. And, and I think that using golf as an example, but there's a multitude of other things you can do that were, that are similar. Absolutely. I like golf as well, as yep. you know, what I love about golf is all the things you mentioned. I'm moving, I'm in the sun, I'm in the fresh air You're on the I'm ground. Yes. It makes me, it makes me feel happy, mm-hmm. but it's also requires a fair amount of concentration to do it. Yes, well, Yes, it does. So I don't Good have point. That, that mental space to have two things happening at one time. So all of the adversity just goes over here because all of my focus is going over here. Yes. Which gives the, the almost the cleansing of the mind. Like even though I'm working out, which I love to do and you love to do, half the time when I'm working out, the thing's still running. 100%. I, I, that's one of the things I have, I have trouble with, what you just said. Yeah, but when, you're, when I'm golfing... Uh, I only have the mental space to focus on this thing. And so it almost relaxes my brain and resets it. Yeah. Which is why it's a really great example. And some people would say, you know, tennis or Ten- racquetball or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back when I was a younger man, I used to play poker for, for you know, fairly high stakes. There's, you, you, want, you want to play poker for high stakes. You can only be focused on one thing. And that's the person and the math that's in front of you. And that's, I didn't really even care about the poker. I loved the fact that I wasn't thinking about business and, and all the other stuff, right? These and are so, all the hidden benefits that we're talking about right now that, absolutely. that help you overcome adversity back to the point is when you can put yourself in these situations that take you out of the staring at the adversity and dwelling, you then look at the adversity a whole lot differently and you're a lot, it's just cleaner energy, you're more creative and you figure out more creative ways to deal with the adversity, right? At the end of the day, it's how can I come up with different and creative ways to deal with what is inevitably going to happen. There will be more internal adversities in your company. There will be more in your life. Oh, will you be prepared? Will you be bulletproof? Will you be resilient to handle them? Or will you not be able to handle them because you haven't really prepped the body and the mind with the things we've mentioned today on the show to be able to deal with them, which could create a very toxic downward spiral for you. It really can affect your health, your well-being, your mental acuity, and your own creativity. So you got to be and, very conscious of all these things we're talking about. It's very, it's, 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 it's deliberate. You'd be very deliberate about the workouts, very deliberate about the hobbies, very deliberate about the personal development, very deliberate about the things you decide to do that, that take you out of your comfort zone and into an uncomfort zone. It, it's a lot of thought in, 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 in being deliberate. And I just don't think a lot of people are very deliberate today. I think they're very reactionary and I don't think they, they put themselves in these environments that can make them, make them better, unfortunately. And, and you just made a point that I want to talk about, and then I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to wrap it with one more thing that you can do, is I think a lot of people wait until the adversity comes to start to deal with putting things in place Human to nature, overcome buddy. it. So it's very reactionary. It's not proactive. All the things that we're talking about right now, if you don't feel like you have adversity in your life, don't wait until you do to put these things in place. Put these things in place now so that when it happens, you are already prepared mentally and physically to deal with it because it's difficult to chase it after the fact. That's the resilience that you've That's the built. Resi- 
right? It's like the guy that doesn't work out his whole life and then all of a sudden he has a stroke or a heart attack or some cardiovascular event and he's like, Mr. Go to the gym six days a week tour. Great to see, probably a little bit too late and you're going to be playing a big, tough game of catch up. Yeah. And that absolutely. isn't a great place to be playing catch up. That's absolutely the, the last thing that I'll, I'll leave people with, and, and it might seem overly simplified and it might seem a little bit woo woo to people is that when I'm in a particularly challenging, you know, course of time, whether it's personal or, or physical or business or whatever, I find that if I just sit down and I actually do an inventory, I take stock of all the amazing things in my life and I write them down on a piece of paper. It, it's, it literally looks like a shopping list, right? And, and the people will laugh. Like I will write the most basic stuff. Smart. Like I love my house. Uh, I love my, my big redneck Jeep. <laughs> uh, I love uh, where I live. I'm grateful for my health and that my kids are healthy and that my wife is healthy and that I've got great friends. And I, I literally, I'll write like a hundred things down and I'll stop and I'll look at it. And it's, and it's a forced exercise to put you in a place of gratitude because it's really difficult to be frustrated, angry, or scared when you're in a place of gratitude. But our mind doesn't, naturally shift to my life's amazing. Everything's going to be fine. It naturally shifts to the problem that's immediately in front of us. And it has to be solved because it's an external threat. Mm -hmm. That's how we're wired. It's an external threat. And so when you take a step back and you actually go, hold on, let me, let me take stock on my life right now. And you just write out all the things that it's as simple or as complex as you want. And you, and you take a second and you look at it, you, you'll find yourself, your shoulders will relax and you'll be like, you know what? Life is all right. Life is all right. Could Let be a lot worse. Oh, a lot worse. Could be a lot worse in most cases. I don't, I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I think it's tremendous. And I think putting pen to paper is the key, not doing this on your computer. It doesn't I think work that's, when I again, do it in my head. Right. Part of the process, pen to paper, good old fashioned, the golf example, feet on the ground, good old yep. fashioned sunlight, right? That's the key. I think you nailed it. And I think that's a great way to leave off is saying, hey, let's make a list of all the things that are going right versus dwelling on everything that's going wrong and see what that does to the mindset and see what that does to your creativity to then go fix the problem. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. And I, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I think I need to do more of is putting pen to paper in that example. I just, I tend to sit and think and focus but I think half the battle would be putting pen to paper, like you just said. It, it's the physical exercise of it that really allows the mind to focus and concentrate on it. And, and oftentimes I come out of it and I feel embarrassed. What do you mean? I look at it and I go, I'm so fucking lucky. How, what dare, am I, how dare you act that way? How that, right? dare I? <laughs> how dare I sit here and mope and moan? and whine and complain internally or externally when look at how fortunate I am, how amazing my life is, how many exactly, people in man. this world would trade places with me in a heartbeat and gladly accept my problem. Well said. To have this life. I'll, I'll leave off with one last quick story, Aaron. 
Um, my daughter's eight. And she has this habit of getting really grumpy and complaining about the breakfast choice in the morning. It's very frustrating to me because I make her breakfast. Can we mention the fact that she loves me? She does love you. Parky. <laughs> she, she's been calling him Parky since she's like four. <laughs> so that's true. But the breakfast thing, big nightmare. Every morning, crisis, five choices, hates them all. I'm like, when is this going to end? She's almost nine, right? So the other day, we're at the store, and I see a lady and her daughter Poor as can be. The poor girl doesn't have shoes on. They're outside with a sign. Give us money. We don't have a home. We don't have food. You know, one of those poverty scenarios. I mean, all kinds of stuff in bags all around them. Like they looked run down and dirty. So I said, Alessia, let's, I don't like to give people money. I like to give people resources because I don't know what they'll do with the money. Right. So there was a grocery store nearby. I went and got a hundred dollars of food, groceries, um, a little toy for the girl. She was eight. My daughter's eight, right? Just a bunch of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And my daughter was with me and we brought it to and we gave it to them. And the look on their face was like Christmas morning. The lady hadn't eaten with bottles of water, food, popcorn, healthy food, and a toy for the girl. And I said to my daughter in the car ride home, I said, that was a really good thing we did today. So here's what I never want to hear again, because that girl hasn't eaten in a long time. I don't ever want to hear one more complaint in the morning about what food you like and don't like, because that girl hasn't had a meal in days. And there's some kids that don't have choices. And there's some kids that don't even know where their next meal is coming from. So you don't really get the right to complain about the food choices in the morning ever again. Are, are we good? Are we clear on this? Because what you just went through with me there should show you that there's never, ever the reason to complain about food or choices or getting upset again. And she's like, yep, I get it. I'm clear. And good it really you. hasn't happened. It, we deviate, but now I remind. Wait, what? Before you complain and freak out, do you remember the incident with the little girl who didn't have shoes or food that doesn't have choices in the morning? And it's like, zip. So. That mirror of who you are, what you have, how fortunate, how grateful you should be has an amazing impact on the mind. Because the mind doesn't naturally go there. The mind naturally goes to the problem, the threat, the need for a solution. And it's amazing how much happier and creative you are when you take that step back and you take stock and you take inventory. You go, it's really not a big deal. Let's put these things in place to solve it and let's make sure that we do it better than it was before so that we have more stability and more strength. You know, And it just makes you... Mentally so... prepared to be able to deal with it. Correct. Preparation, right? Correct. Really good way to leave off with the gratitude component. Hopefully you all got a lot out of this one today. We veered off the normal path, which I think we're going to do more of Aaron because it's requested, right? We can Mm -hmm. only talk about sales and marketing so much. I mean, we'll keep coming back to the root of the show, which is helping you make more money in sales and marketing. But if the mind isn't right and the body isn't right, that'll be tough to do. So rising above adversity, Aaron, great stuff. Appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of your, your insight. I hope I did as well. And we'll see you on the next show. I'm Andrew. That's Aaron. This one's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Sales Velocity TV is powered by Pipeline Pro, the ultimate all-in-one sales pipeline management and marketing automation platform that makes all others obsolete. And we can prove it. Take a tour at gopipelinepro.com. See you on the next episode.